Welcome, listeners, to the third season of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and your podcast host. Tune in and join me as I chat with authors writing cozy and traditional mysteries. You won't find explicit violence, sex, or gore. You will find intricate plots, engaging characters, and brilliant writing. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Victoria Gilbert, author of the Blue Ridge Library Mysteries, joins me and my cat, you might hear in the background, in the corner today to chat about a deadly edition, the fifth in her series. Welcome, Victoria. Hello. Now, as I mentioned, A Deadly Edition is the fifth Blue Ridge Library mystery. Would you please tell us what your protagonist is up to this time out? Well, um, as you can tell by the cover, if anyone takes a look at the cover, um, there's a wedding um, that's part of the story. My protagonist, Amy, is engaged to her boyfriend, Richard Muir, who is a dancer and choreographer. And um, in this book, um, they're leads up to their wedding, which which happens at the end of the book. And um, so unfortunately they go to a, a party which they're having a good time at a friend's house and they stumble over another dead body which they've done several times in the series. So um, Amy and Richard and her other friends and also she works with the uh, sheriff's department, um, not against them, with them, um, and because Amy is a librarian, she does a lot of research um, and she also interviews people, but she never works at odds with the police or the sheriff's department. Um, she's actually asked to research some things for them. So I tried to work that in because I didn't want to have one of those antagonistic <laughs> law enforcement uh, relationships. Um, and you also have a female law enforcement um, professional, which is, is a little bit different. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of those. Um, the main one in this um, series is actually a, a guy. He's the chief deputy, uh, Brad Tucker, but um, there there are some female, his girlfriend actually, who works in another county, but is um, one of the female um, sheriff's deputies who gets involved in the stories too. <laughs> Uh, a key element in your story is a book from William Morris's Kelmscott Press, which the Cleveland Museum of Art described as the most celebrated private press in the history of printing. So for those of us who are unfamiliar with Morris or with Kelmscott Press, who was he and what made his press so special? Well, William Morris was one of the founders of the arts and crafts movement, which I love. If anyone loves craftsmen houses and that style, that's where it came from. And I was, um, I minored in art history in college and I've always loved art. I was also a costume designer. So I've, I've been involved in the arts for a long time. And um, he, Morris was part of this group that was really believed all of life should be beautiful. They designed not just books and paintings but also um, textiles and furniture. So it was, was a really important movement to bring to, and he was interested in bringing this to regular people, not just the rich. 
um, the sense of beauty and design into your home. Um, he, uh, the book that uh, is in the, a deadly edition is a edition of Chaucer's works. And um, that was uh, considered his premier work. It had uh, lithographs in it um, designed by uh, an artist called Byrne Jones. Um, and it's just a gorgeous piece. If you look online, you can see pictures in this beautiful, beautifully illustrated book um, that includes most of Chaucer's works. Now, Byrne Jones is one of the pre-Raphaelite painters, is that correct? That is correct, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the, that movement, which most of us has probably seen, but might not realize we're seeing paintings from that period? Right, that was um, a period of time they were very much harking back to the medieval period, although it has its own sensibility. And um, they, you, if you think of, um, there's some paintings that are very famous, like the painting of Ophelia um, in the water uh, from Shakespeare. And that's part of that movement. It was always very beautiful women. It's like a, a style that um, celebrated a lot of richness in design and um, elegant design. Um, I love a lot of the works of the pre-Raphaelites. Um, uh, Christy Rossetti was a poet who um, wrote during that period and it was all tied together, which was interesting to me because that arts movement was not just about one form of art, but involved uh, writing and uh, poetry, um, art, music, a lot of different things. And, and what, what inspired you to choose a rare book as the centerpiece in your mystery? Well, um, I'm a retired librarian, um, so books are very important to me. And also one of the characters uh, who is in the series, throughout the series, is an art dealer named Kirk Kendrick. And he's very important in the series. He's also one of my favorite characters. He's, he's got a very interesting background. Um, and he's sort of shady slightly, maybe. Um, he's an older man, he's in his 70s, and he's connected to Amy's family through some historical connections. Um, but he's very wealthy, he likes to collect art, and he deals in art. And this book is something that he's vying for to buy, along with another art dealer, and the other art dealer is the one who gets killed. So Kurt becomes a suspect, and that's one of the reasons Amy really gets involved in this uh, mystery investigation. You, you were telling me about uh, uh, Kirk and his connection to Victoria. I mean, uh, sorry, to Amy. Yes. Well, Kurt, um, he's uh, actually, he was a foster son of a man um, who lived next door to Amy's aunt. And they're all connected through all these different connections. And throughout the series, this is built on. I try to write each book so that you can understand um, you know, the connections, even if you haven't read the previous books. But um, it does help you know, from the beginning. It's all built up, obviously, with more background. Um, that Kurt was good friends with a man who became the husband of Amy's aunt. So there's all these intertwining connections and he's also the foster son of Richard's great uncle. So those connections mean he's important to the family and they are important to him. 
And as you mentioned, um, Kurt, Kurt has a bit of a shady past. So yes. did, you, did you know what his secrets were before you created him or did they reveal themselves to you as you wrote? Um, I knew that, yeah, he was gonna be somebody who started out, he actually started out dealing drugs. He was um, a young man who was orphaned and then came into a foster home situation, which was a good situation, but he was always restless. He had a lot of baggage. And so he left home at 18 and he went out and he started doing this drug dealing, which got him in with some you know, disreputable people. And um, the thing is he made a fortune and then he switched to dealing art and he's no longer dealing drugs or anything, but he has this past and these connections, which sometimes helps with the investigations because he knows some things and he has a lot of connections in the less savory parts of um, the community and so forth. Um, it was just fun because I wanted to write someone who's a little mysterious. I don't always explain everything about his background. I give the basics, but I like people to imagine, <laughs> you know, what he knows and what he doesn't know. He's he's kind of an enigma sometimes. So how, how is it different um, creating a character who was not so squeaky clean compared to, you know, creating the sort of more upstanding citizen characters? Um, honestly, <coughs> excuse me, it's a little, sometimes it's a, it, it's more fun in a way because he he can he can be a little bit um, hard to read and it's hard you can develop something that um, you don't always know whether he's doing things for his own benefit or other people's benefit um, and it gives more layers I think that's what I enjoy is that you know you're not just writing somebody who's just this one sort of group of uh, characteristics, but got a, has a lot of different layers to them. And I find that enjoyable while I'm writing. Um, and also the interactions that he can have with different characters, um, some of whom don't really trust him, some who trust him more. So it, it gives you things to play off of um, that are fun. And also he can bring to the table sometimes information or um, connections that Amy would not have if she was trying to do an investigation because she doesn't have those kind of connections. Now, now going, back to, going back to books, um, you don't just use a rare book as a prop, you include literary references uh, in your story that, that help move the plot along. So do you worry about scaring off readers who may not be familiar with the references or do you see them more as a way to inspire readers to learn more? Yeah, I, I don't think it scares anybody off. I mean, I don't worry about that. I, I do a lot of art references and, and dance references. Um, one of my main characters, as I said, is a dancer and choreographer. So um, I reference those aspects as well. And I think, you know, it's not to the point where people would be confused. Uh, I try to explain within the book enough or have characters who are asking questions that can help explain things about that particular book or piece of art or whatever. But it, it is you know, fascinating to me because of course, as a former librarian, I like to do research <laughs> and um, I like to be able to figure out how to present it in a way that's interesting. And maybe somebody will say, oh, I wanna go look that up and find out more about it. That's fine. And if they don't, it's fine too. It's just, you know, 
to me, to keep it exciting and interesting, I have to bring in these other aspects. Um, in fact, one of the, I learned a lot. One thing I learned with the second book, it deals with some art um, theft and art forgery. Um, that's shelved under murder. And um, in that book, when I was doing the research, I actually learned that experts think over, I don't know how, 40% of the art in our museums is fake. <laughs> wow. And, um, you know, just delving into that whole world of, of art forgery and, and how long it's been going on and, and how pervasive it is was really interesting to me. And, and I also talk about the Nazi um, abduction of paintings and artworks and that ties into it. Um, and the monument men and, and the people who were trying to recover art that was stolen. Um, so all those things I feel like I can bring in, give enough background so that it makes sense in the context, and then maybe spur somebody to do a little research on their own. Uh, speaking of research, it's certainly important when you're creating you know, believable stories, but too much of it on the page can make your novel end up sounding like a textbook. So how do you balance including enough research to make the story realistic uh, while avoiding doing an info dump? Um, I think you really have to weave that in, that sort of thing. Um, I try not to overload the books with that. I have a lot more background than I put in, so I understand it, so I can present it in a way that um, gives you enough information, but not overload. Uh, I think it helps that I was a librarian. I was a reference librarian and then a library director. But I've done a lot of work with people in terms of finding information and helping them to process information. Um, so, you know, I learned over the years not to give people too much because then you're just so overwhelmed, you can't think it through. Um, and that's a real skill that you learn when you're doing reference work. I hadn't thought about that before, but I think that helps. <laughs> writing um, to, to sort of weed out all the unnecessary parts um, that people, it might be interesting to me, but they don't really need to know that. Um, so just leave out the parts people don't want to read. Yeah, or the parts that are just kind of like esoteric to, um, oh, that's fascinating, but uh, nobody cares. And it doesn't move the story along. You have to think about moving the story along. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And if there's something in there that wow, that's really interesting, but it just doesn't do anything, help this book um, become an interesting book, then uh, you gotta leave it out. Now you set your story in a very interesting place, the Blue Ridge Mountain region of Virginia. So mm -hmm. how does the region enhance the story? Well, I, I chose that region because I love it, but because I also, I grew up there. Um, my mother's family uh, is from that area, very much the area that I describe. I don't call it the county that it is in life um, or the town is, the town is fictional, although it's based very heavily on the towns I knew growing up. Um, and I reference things in the area like other, like DC and other uh, cities around there. Um, I think knowing an area and really having a sense of what it not just looks like, but the experience of living there um, and the experience 
of um, everything about it. You know, the the the, the foliage, the the trees, the um, the way the seasons work there really does help make something feel real. And in writing my first, this was my first mystery series, I really felt like I needed to pick something I could bring all that experience to. Um, and, you know, with a lot of times with cozy mysteries, you want a small town. And of course I grew up in a very small town. Um, so I had that um, experience. Um, and the other thing that I really wanted to bring to it um, I grew up in, like I said, it was a very small town. It was a farming community and it was small family farms at the time. It's changed, but at the time when I was young, that's what we had. And I really get um, upset when I see so many portrayals of mountain. This is really a mountain community because it's the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so many portrayals of mountain people is um, so wrong. <laughs> Um, they're always shown as these hicks and um, backward and they don't have culture and all these things, which I never experienced growing up. Um, my grandparents did not go to college, but my grandfather could quote Shakespeare by heart. Um, he could ballroom dance. Um, there was just a lot of people in my community, the older people who were very cultured and appreciated um, books and um, music and all these things. And so I, I wanted to bring my sensibility of that um, reality rather than this sort of hillbilly thing that is really not accurate at all. And now many, many readers do use books to allow themselves to travel to places that they can't visit in person. So if you were leading a tour through your town of Taylorsford, Virginia, what are some of the highlights you'd point out? Well, the town is very old. Um, so there's a lot of, there's some older buildings that are built of stone, which is the oldest form um, in the town. And I would point out these old buildings and homes. Um, in the area, there was a lot of field stone and people used that to build homes and also fences. A lot of the farming fences, you'll see at least the base of them is these stones and they're not mortared, they're just stacked stone. So that's a really distinctive thing. Um, there's an old mill that now in Taylorsford has been turned into a inn, but it was, you know, a grain mill originally, and that's very historic too. Um, and then, of course, as time went on, they built a lot of beautiful Victorian homes and Queen Anne Revival homes, and the home that Aunt Lydia, who is Amy's aunt and also a very important character in the series, she owns a Queen Anne Revival home and um, it's, you know, a big, beautiful three-story with the gingerbread and everything on the house. Um, I'd also point out, of course, the mountains. The mountains are essential. The mountains are the backdrop to everything. Um, and they're right at the foot of the mountains. So there's a lot of paths and trails that you can walk up into the mountains um, and hike in that area. Um, it's very rolling hills. Um, and a lot of trees, a lot of woods still there. So those are some of the things I would point out. Now you write a second series, the Book Lovers B&B Mysteries, that's set in a very different place uh, than Taylorsford, Virginia. Would you tell us a little bit about that series? Yes, um, that series is actually set in a real town, uh, Beaufort, North Carolina. 
which is a coastal town. Um, it's very close to Atlantic Beach, which is uh, on the Atlantic Ocean, um, across the sound from Atlantic Beach. But Beaufort is also a very, very old town. Um, it was settled um, early on in the country's history. Um, it's seen the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. Um, there's a lot of old homes there from 1700s up through the Victorian era as well. Um, it's a small town, um, but really beautiful, a lot of history. Uh, my husband and I own a timeshare at Atlantic Beach, and every year when we go, um, we spend a lot of time in Beaufort. So when my publisher was saying, we were talking about, you know, a seaside kind of cozy series, I asked to use that town because it's something I knew well, and I felt like the history of that town would add to my story because one of the things I love to do is include history, um, even though they're contemporary. They're set in contemporary times, but all of my books have historical elements in them, like the, the um, William Morris book or something about history of the family that comes tied back into the mystery. So that's why I chose Beaufort and also the fact that I knew it well and I could take a lot of pictures and visit there and um, really get a feel for it. Now, how is setting a series in a place that already exists different from creating a town? I think you have to be a lot more careful. Um, I don't include, I include real historic sites and some real sites that are um, not commercial businesses in the book, but I don't mention actual businesses uh, for two reasons. One is that I don't want to say anything negative or have it implied in any way that, um, you know, with a murder happening in the story, <laughs> that, there's, that there's anything uh, connected to a real business. Um, and also um, they come and go and you just don't want to, um, you know, say, oh, well, this great restaurant and then it's never, it's not there three years later. Um, so I make up the, the inn, the B&B, &B, uh, which is called Chapters, because it's actually a literary theme to B&B, &B, um, where they hold literary events as part of the, the bed and breakfast, um, is made up, although it's based on on B&Bs in, in that town. And, um, and then there's a cafe I mentioned that's made up, but also based on various cafes in the area. So, um, I fictionalize part of it. And then for the real things, I really research a lot and I use Google Earth a lot to make sure I have the exact um, roads and, and um, all the, the way the town is laid out. Even though I've been there several times, I have to use maps and things to make sure I'm doing it right. Um, and when I use things like um, Fort Macon, which is a real fort from the early uh, 1800s, um, that's on the end of Atlantic Beach. Uh, I did a lot of research and I visit there many times um, and just have to make sure that I'm getting it right. I did get a chance to speak with the chief of police in Beaufort, which was really interesting. Um, and I worked with them. I had some questions about Fort Macon that some of the park rangers were able to answer. So I have to make sure it's right. I don't, I don't wanna get those facts wrong. 
both of your series center around the book world, although in different ways. So what are some, what are some similarities and differences in writing about libraries uh, versus book themed boutique B&Bs? Well, I know a lot more about libraries, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, uh, having worked in libraries for over 30 years, um, it's a little easier in a way because I experienced that. Um, but the book theme B&B, again, I had to do a little more research um, and just think of how that would work. One of the problems with the B&B versus the library that I discovered, it was really interesting in writing it and how you're setting influences your writing is that in the library setting, in the Blue Ridge setting, because it's a public library in a town, um, it's a center of activity and you can have people coming in and out, all kinds of people. Um, so it's easier to move around your people. And I mean, I'm not always setting the scenes in the library, but that particular setting allows for more um, intermingling. <laughs> Whereas when you think about a B&B, you're not gonna have everybody just wandering in. Um, you have guests and um, you don't, it's not open to the public. So how you maneuver, how people meet, how you bring people in and out is very different. Um, and a little more challenging actually. Um, I even said to my editor at one point, because well, we're doing a series, I said, well, how many murders can you have at a B&B &B and have anybody want to stay there? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we were kind of laughing over that too. <laughs> so I did set the, this in the second book, which comes out in June. Um, the first book, Book for Death, came out in August. And there's a second book that comes out in June of 2021. Um, so the murder didn't happen at the B&B &B in the second book, although it's connected to the people at the B&B. &B. So, because I just couldn't logically, <laughs> couldn't logically work my head around that. I'm a very logical person. It's very difficult for me to go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess multiple murders wouldn't look too good in their marketing campaign. No, no, come here and get killed, you know. It's not really <laughs> what you want to promote. But, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's different. Um, and I have to think about, you know, how to, uh, the movement of your character has to be logical. Um, my B&B &B owner, whose name is Charlotte Reed, um, she has to have a reason to leave the B&B &B and do things, or she has to have somebody watching over the B&B &B if she's not there. So there is a housekeeper cook who is involved in the story as well, because, you know, you just don't leave your guests. So, so there's challenges there. You have to think it through. <laughs> Do you, do you find any challenges in switching between settings in Virginia and North Carolina? Um, not really, because I have a pretty different, they're very different and, and they're very much in my mind of what they are, because it becomes very real to me. I don't know with other writers, I think from hearing them speak, this is true, but the characters and the setting to me become like a real place that I just know as well as I know, you know, my own house or whatever. Um, so, I mean, I might sketch out like even what the layout of what the B&B &B is or just make sure that I understand enough about it that I can really see it in my mind. And they're so different that I'm able to 
switch between without too much trouble. Now, as you mentioned, um, a deadly edition uh, published in December of 2020 mm -hmm. and Reserved for Murder, which is the second book lover's B&B mystery, comes out in June of 2021. Right. So where can readers buy a copy of a deadly edition and where will they be able to buy Reserved for Murder? Um, they're available anywhere that books are sold. Uh, my publisher um, is Crooked Lane Books and um, they have distribution through Penguin Random House. Um, so they're everywhere. <laughs> um, of course they're on Amazon, but also Barnes and Noble, every, independent bookstores. Now sometimes they're not shelved at the independent bookstores as we know with indies, they can't always shelve everything, but they can get them easily if you request them. And um, they're available in ebook formats and hardback. Um, and some of my books are in paperback. My publisher brings out certain books in paperback and others not, but they're always in hardback and ebook and some are in audiobook as well. So really anywhere that you buy books, you can find them. Hey, and and where, can, where can readers connect with you to find out more about you? Um, the easiest thing is my website, which is uh, Victoria Gilbert Mysteries, all one word, uh, dot com. And um, I have all the links there for Facebook, Twitter, all the other social media links. Um, but on my website, I try to keep up with my news and events um, and bring out, you know, anything if I've got a new book deal. Um, I actually just got a deal in the fall for a new series. Um, well, first I have to write, I'm writing book six in the Blue Ridge series right now, um, which will come out next December. Oh, this December. Oh, we're in 2021. <laughs> this is December. Um, and then um, I'm writing book three in the Book Lover series, and that will come out in 2022. And book seven in the Blue Ridge series will come out in December of 2022. Um, so I have several more books in those series at this point. And then we got a deal on a new series, which is more of a traditional mystery series um, called The Hunter and Clue Mysteries. And that is not coming out until 2023. But of course, as you know, you're writing books a year or so in advance. So my plate is pretty full as far as writing right now, but there will be ongoing books coming out. And you know, people keep up with my website or my Facebook page. Um, it's Victoria Gilbert on Facebook as well. Um, then I try to make sure I'm up to date on everything so they know when new books are coming out and so forth. Well, it sounds like you've got a, a lot to, to keep up yeah. with with the three series now, <laughs> plus your Facebook page and your website. So um, uh, kudos to you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy about that. I mean, I retired. I laugh and say I retired because I'm not retired at all. Um, I retired from library work, but I'm working full time <laughs> writing now. So, um, which is fine. Um, I always wanted to be a writer. And oh, the other thing I always like to mention to people in case there's aspiring writers out there. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, I missed my chance. I'm too old. My first book was not published until I was 58. Um, 
and I'm in my early 60s and I have all these books and deals and whatever. And so I always tell people to go for it <laughs> um, and that they shouldn't think it's too late, that I had no connections. I had no special, you know, whatever to get in, to get an agent or get a deal. Um, so it's certainly possible um, because I see so many aspiring authors who are, you know, in their thirties or something like, oh, I've missed my chance. I'm like, no, I haven't. <laughs> Well, you, you've certainly proven that it's it's never too late, and um, you know with with three series to your credit. So again, congratulations on that. Thank you, and thank you for joining me in the corner today. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Victoria Gilbert, author of A Deadly Edition, the Fifth Blue Ridge Library Mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks listeners for joining me for another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listened. Follow the podcast on social media. I'm on Facebook as The Cozy Corner Podcast and Twitter and Instagram as podcast underscore cozy. Now you can support me on Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $3 a month and get a shout out on an episode of The Cozy Corner. Support at higher levels gains access to patron-only posts, thank you gifts, and giveaways. Sign up at www.patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. Thank you for your support and thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.